everyone, and welcome to The Resonance Test. I'm your host, Jen Ashman from EPAM Continuum. Artificial intelligence, it's easier said than done. Healthcare people, for instance, never seem to stop yapping about AI. Yet even with all the chatter, it's not clear to the majority of interlocutors how to implement AI on a grand scale, or how exactly this will affect patients, providers, and payers. Fortunately, there's an organization out there that's hyper-aware of the interest, promise, and bafflement of these AI conversations. It's called AI for the Rest of Us. The group's creator, Sanandini Chopra, dropped by our studio to talk with Toby Botwarf about what she and her cohorts hope to achieve. What's exciting to me, she says, is producing these cutting-edge technologies, but also very, very importantly, making sure that the 98% of the people in the world get access to at least some technology and some care. What will hopefully be exciting to you is the convivial conversation Chopra and Botorf conduct, which covers chatbots and loneliness, the similarities between predicting weather and healthcare patterns, and the absolute importance of data collection and curation. Hi, Sinan Denis. Thanks for coming in and chatting with us today. Um, for folks who haven't met you, um, your day job is uh, working on Watson Health, but we're here to chat about what you um, are leading on your own initiative, which is a group called AI for the Rest of Us. Um, I think I must be in the rest of us. Who is the rest of us? <laughs> um, that is an interesting question that has uh, been asked uh, multiple times, actually. And so to answer that question, I, I will have to talk a little bit about the group to Great. help you understand um, help you to make the decision whether you are in the rest of us or not. <laughs> um, so the goal of AI for the rest of us um, is to bring together groups of people that are interested in the application of data analytics, machine learning, and advanced technologies uh, in healthcare. And the, the people that we attract and the people that are part of the group uh, are different types of. So they could either be people who are on the interface of two different fields. They could be experts in data analytics, but are new to the field of healthcare. They can be physicians who know about uh, patient care and, and physician protocols, but are new to the world of data analytics. So each of the members or all of us in some way uh, know a lot about something, but don't know a lot about something else. So all of us, in a way, are part yeah. of the rest of us. It just depends on how you look at it. Uh, but for this group in particular, it's for anyone who is interested in both the facets, uh, technology and healthcare. They could know one and want to learn the other, or they could know both. Okay. So for me, the rest of us depends on the context. and. So unless you know a lot about everything, you're in the rest of us. So listen up, folks. This is a good group for you to be a part of. Uh, I definitely count in the rest of us because my background is in um, interaction design, interface design, uh, and AI is completely upending everything we've thought um, our work was based on uh, for the last 30 plus years. We thought it was a visual system, and it turns out it's becoming a conversational one. Absolutely. At a past session, uh, you had Roy Smythe from Philips talking about uh, different jobs for AI. Those are the kinds of questions that are very intriguing to us at EPAM Continuum. Um, personally, I think a lot about jobs for people versus jobs for digital systems. But uh, let's dive into what he outlined. Uh, he had three things that he thought um, we should focus on. One was uh, workflow and streamlining workflow. The second was full-on automation, uh, potentially even of clinic, clinical tasks. And the third was in decision support. Do you have a point of view um, on where where you're excited about the potential for AI in these? 
Sure. Um, so I, I do agree with what uh, Dr. Roy had said. Um, so automation, workflow um, uh, management, and clinical decision support systems are probably uh, three simpler areas for AI to impact in the in the near future. And the reason being, um, a lot of the work that is being done by our physicians or, or caretakers in the healthcare system, uh, some of them are mundane tasks that happen at a regular uh, cadence. And those tasks, it is very easy to automate that and and give the give the caretakers an opportunity to to work on the more interesting aspects of patient care, uh, the more human aspects of patient care, where they can interact with them and the processes can be taken yeah. care of, algorithms and and processes that can be built into the system uh, to automate them. And uh, in particular, I want to mention clinical decision support systems and their impact on healthcare. Uh, so as more and more real-world evidence and outcomes uh, about patient uh, data gets fed into these systems, uh, they will have the capability to make uh, to suggest better treatment options uh, to physicians when they are doing treatment planning. And this can really play a, an important role in, in areas not just such as the United States, but also the developing world, mm. where you have a shortage of skilled labor, where you have a shortage of skilled and um, uh, skilled physicians. And so I think these these technologies can really uh, help advance the the developing world, but also remove the disparities in care. And I think that's very exciting. Yeah. I think that's that's really crucial to keep in mind the bigger picture, the more global perspective. The, what we're talking about is um, tools, really, um, that are that are massively needed in terms of just the the existing uh, availability. There's a, there's a lack of medical care. And the alternative isn't a doctor or an AI. Um, it's it's a nothing or or a doctor supported by AI potentially. Yep. Um, one of the one of the spaces where um, we've seen um, smart systems step in where there's a lack of that kind of human connection is uh, Sherry Turkle's written about this. Sherry Turkle at MIT. Um, the question of loneliness um, in the elderly, and as you pointed out to me earlier today, uh, teenagers also, that um, an AI may be um, not as good, obviously, as, as human connection, but it's certainly better than nothing. Yeah, um, I, I completely agree. I think the way, this, the way we are evolving as human beings is we definitely have more isolated lives. Uh, everyone is busy in their own days, their own chores. And as you mentioned, the geriatric population and the teenagers, they are both very comfortable with, with texting, with engaging with uh, WhatsApp or chatbots. And people don't very often prefer just picking up the phone and, and making a call uh, these days. So these technologies are being studied and uh, will have an impact in helping reduce uh, loneliness, potentially depression. Uh, yeah. So they have a, a strong, strong way forward. It, there are some, some promising companies that um, seem to be able to deliver cognitive behavioral therapy to people with depression and they're backed by AIs. Mm -hmm. Um, the other example I've heard of is uh, people suffering from uh, post-traumatic stress um, may actually find it incredibly burdensome to process what they've been through in front of another person. Um, and a robot or an AI uh, is a better place to start uh, their therapy. Yeah. Um, chatbots, though, you had mentioned um, personalities. 
um, we think of chatbots as being um, kind of like the vocal equivalent of plastic, right? <laughs> uh, but they're starting to get more um, variable in their personalities. And you've done some work there, right? Yeah, so I uh, had interned with Microsoft Research in 2016 um, as the summer intern. And my, my core project was not chatbots. One of my colleagues was developing uh, chatbots with three different personalities. And I had just um, helped her with one of her assignments where I helped um, talk to the chatbot and then answer some questions for her uh, research. Um, yeah, so this is, I mean, chatbots is a, it's, it's a great way to, for, for creatives to just go crazy with different kinds of personalities. It's basically uh, giving them different perspectives, the way they talk, the kinds of things they talk, and you can develop different uh, personalities based on, based on your area of interest. Mm -hmm. And then depending on what an individual is looking for, you can provide that individual with, a, with that particular personality of chatbot to communicate with. Yeah. Uh, Yes, a few years back, I worked on a project that was looking to build a digital coaching platform for people managing a variety of health conditions. We were looking at weight, uh, weight management. And one of the things we saw loud and clear was that the, the ideal for people um, was, was really varied, um, that some people wanted, they admitted, to be bullied a little bit, um, somebody mm -hmm. to hold them accountable. And others wanted a more nurturing, more supportive personality uh, from the support system that we were trying to build. Yeah, so I think that's a great point that you brought because no, like one size doesn't fit all, right? Mm -hmm. So y y we need systems, as far as chatbots are concerned, who start talking to an individual and then learn from the individual what works for that particular person and then change and modulate their own selves to suit the needs of the, of the person yeah. they are talking to. And I think, I, I don't know if we are there yet, but uh, I think that would be an interesting system to yeah. work with. What are, the, what are the emerging design skills? Um, I, I mentioned my background in uh, interface and interaction design, which was, uh, for most of my career, uh, a visual medium. Um, what's going to change now as systems start to get, um, you know, multimodal? They're able to talk, they're able to listen, um, there will obviously be um, cases where visual representation of data is still above and beyond the best way to go, but um, maybe the way we interact with them is is going to change dramatically. Sure. Um, so going forward, a few trends that I see uh, as evolving as the key trends, uh, obviously texting. I think mm. people are very comfortable with just texting, so it's either a, with a chatbot or with a another person. Uh, audio texting is another um, new trend that's upcoming, especially uh, I've, I've read about some reports in China uh, where people are very comfortable with just leaving voice messages and they communicate uh, hmm. in that way. Um, and then I think another area where all of them sort of can get tied in is uh, is like your Amazon Alexa or your HomePod. Uh, yeah. I think that's a very interesting t technology that can combine some of these facets because it's linked with your phone, with your television, uh, with the speaker in your house. It's, so it can it can take you through the whole route of a digital uh, visual experience, uh, a texting experience, and an audio experience. So I think that's uh, that's an interesting platform to to build upon for future technology. Yeah, I, th I think that you bringing up, bring up texting is fascinating because um, it's a bit counterintuitive. People think of AI and they think of sci-fi um, <laughs> and something as mundane as texting. Um, 
you know, we don't have the problems of trying to simulate a human voice in a way that gets out of the uncanny valley. Uh, text is more forgiving in that regard, I would imagine. Uh, and it's it's already been adopted. Uh, it's one of the ways in which, you know, we, we may uh, underestimate the long-term effects of technologies that settle in a really natural way into our regular daily habits. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think when I say texting, it's more like chatting. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, if you if you go to your bank website or your uh, your workday website, all of those areas have have a phone number and a and an yeah. option to chat. Mm -hmm. And almost, I think, seventy percent of the times, people would just want to chat with someone. Yeah. Um, and so, I think those are areas where you can use machine learning to add more flavor to make sure that the right resources are being connected with the patient, with the person who's looking for certain information. Yeah. And so that's where I believe machine learning, artificial intelligence can play a role in really connecting the right pieces of resources with the right uh, individuals. Yeah. And obviously more broadly than just healthcare, but they're also a great source of um, customer patient understanding. You know, th in the early days of um, websites, the search box was a, a great way to learn what people were looking for. Mm -hmm. um, the same is true now of the queries that they give to um, chatbots or, or, you know, chat channels, um, whether they're people or uh, AI systems. Uh, it's just another way uh, to learn about people, mm -hmm. uh, the people that we're trying to serve. So you were talking about the why mm -hmm. people do certain things. Um, the, the little time I've been in the space of, uh, you know, advanced technology for healthcare, I have come to realize that um, in healthcare in particular, with, as far as physicians and uh, care teams are concerned, they really care about the what. Mm -hmm. like, they just care about that. They care about their patient getting the right treatment or getting the right um, diagnosis or getting the right uh, indication about the disease. They're sometimes not very concerned about how that's happening. Yeah. Uh, however, a lot of these technologies that are um, based on machine learning or data analytics, they they sort of solve this how question. It's like, how are you getting to that answer? It's because you are using really uh, advanced technology and, and algorithms that are processing the data in a certain way. So, but you mentioned uh, the concept of why. Yeah. So where does it all fit in? And I'm trying to understand that healthcare professionals care about the what, like they care about what's being done. Yep. They don't, they might not have a lot of appreciation for how it's being done. I think it's the difference between um, science and a, a broader understanding of care. Um, my favorite science writers have a very humanistic perspective about it. They recognize that, you know, people who get sick and are dying and they lose loved ones, and that's a part of what um, they are working on and wrestling with. Uh, it's, not, it's not enough to treat uh, diseases or conditions. It's people um, that, are, that, that need care, and oftentimes... Um, you know, you, somebody might be sitting in a, in a badly furnished room uh, wearing a gown that doesn't close in the back waiting to hear some news that might completely upend their life. Um, that has very little to do with um, the what and everything to do with the how. For me personally, I, I, you know, I would rather have 25 minutes with an RN than 12 minutes with an MD. Um, to be able to have conversations and make connections between my last visit and my present visit. Um, none of that is managing, you know, anything too, too serious. Uh, but I think part of the problem also is that the same 
focus on the what uh, looks at looks at healthcare as a series of crises and take, pays, pays more attention to um, the war on disease uh, than the baseline, people's everyday health and wellness and the management of that. But, and I think there's enormous value in, you know, we've talked about um, conversational systems um, as a way of helping people manage their weight um, more and more. One trend I see is that, um, you know, health feels more and more like a chronic condition that you manage because we all have more and more devices to help us um, measure and regulate, whether it's our diet, our exercise, our sleep. Um, we're becoming equipped with a lot of data and a lot of data analytics to help us make smarter choices uh, for our own selves. So here's a silly question. Um, who's your favorite robot? Uh, I think we talked about it a little uh, <laughs> before. I'm, uh, yeah, I don't follow robots very much, uh, but I would say like R2-D2 from Star Wars, and then there was a movie that I'd seen a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. Chappie. Yeah. I think the robot there was endearing. I th one of the things that I find interesting, uh, R2-D2 is, uh, I think, adorable. Um, I, I see a lot of autonomous vehicles being made with those same uh, cuteness qualities. I think it's a way of, of helping persuade us um, that they're harmless, mm -hmm. um, even though they, um, they might not be. But then again, nor are humans uh, behind the wheel of a car. So, um, yeah, my favorite robot, for the, for the record, is, is Bishop from the second Alien movie, um, because... We know he's an android, um, uh, and he knows his job. Uh, he's kind of like a Spock figure, um, and he's willing to die for the mission. Yeah, no, actually, on that note, there's some work that's being done by some companies. I know uh, I've read about one called Effectiva, mm -hmm. and what they do is um, they try to they try to have interfaces, um, interfaces of technologies m mirror or map the needs of uh, the individual, that the human that's working with that technology. Sort of like the mirror neuron idea? Uh, maybe. Like maybe. I, 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 f I fear that I might misrepresent the company, but uh, for example, like I, I was reading about them, like if you are working on an iPad and mm. if your iPad knows that, you know, you're, just upset right now, then it'll change colors in a way huh. to make you feel a little more comfortable and help yeah. you calm, help to calm you down. So things like that. And I think yeah. these technologies might be, uh, this technology might be incorporated in other technologies that interface humans in the future. Yeah, I think um, there's a company called MindStrong that um, mm. claims to be able to uh, detect depression um, and other uh, mental conditions by just by the the variable patterns of how you interact with your everyday devices. Mm -hmm. um, are you impatient? Um, are, you know, the, the gyroscope tells you a lot about um, whether your moves, movements are sudden, uh, slow, uh, variables that can be interpreted. Yeah, I think a lot of great work is being done in this space, um, in, in healthcare in particular. However, I, I wish that at some point we, we begin to take more disease-specific uh, care models in mind. Mm -hmm. So if you have uh, this app for patients with uh, depression, for example, uh, so that app is looking at one aspect of depression. There are like so many different facets to it. Maybe that patient or that person might be on medication or uh, the nutrition of the person needs to be managed as well. Or maybe uh, lifestyle of that person needs to be assessed as well. 
So I almost feel for healthcare, I mean, having access to this plethora of technology and tools for data analysis, if we can move to more disease-specific comprehensive models mm. where you have you have a comprehensive way of assessing and monitoring how a person, I wouldn't say patient necessarily, how a person is in that specific uh, disease. Yeah. Uh, this could be for depression. This could be for uh, heart failure, diabetes, cardiovascular diseases. Um, and I, I, I really hope that yeah. someone is working on that. So zeroing in on individual diseases um, leaves open another dimension of this, which I find intriguing. On the one hand, I think uh, AI provides the potential for highly individualized medicine, like down to the genetic level. On the other, the other end of the spectrum, um, it could help us reach breakthroughs at the population level, um, that there's big data in terms of millions of people, but there's also big data just in terms of what's, um, what's governing my own internal processes. Um, is there a tension between those two, or can we get after both ends of the spectrum? Of course, we can get at both ends of the spectrum. And in fact, uh, when I had just started reading about the space of data analytics, and so I've always been interested in healthcare, I... I almost drew this parallel uh, between weather data and health data. Mm. And so how, how weather, the, the prediction of weather, how that technology evolved was basically um, earlier you were able to just create a log of historical data for, for different regions. And then based on that, you would make predictions of the future weather for a mm. certain region. As technology progressed, you were able to add some instantaneous variables such as humidity, wind, sunshine. Yeah. Um, and as technology further progressed, you were able to have better prediction models. And so basically that's how we can now make really strong predictions as far as weather is concerned. Yeah. And I feel something similar would happen in healthcare as well, where uh, you have your genetic data, you would have your population-wide uh, data that can be that that we can use data analytics to probably uh, process and and better understand. So that'll give you your historical uh, weather data equivalent, and then on top of that, you can have the instantaneous variables, which is uh, they could be your vitals, your uh, changes in uh, different uh, diagnostic uh, results, and. Uh, your mood of uh, your nutrition mm. and so on and so forth. And when you feed that information in the population health, you get a stronger predictive model. Yeah. And so potentially- you're looking at it in a bunch of different ways. Yeah, and so basically you're adding more and more solid good variables into, the, into your algorithm, that your prediction algorithm. So you could reach a point where you could predict in a, with a decent accuracy whether a patient with stroke m might have stroke, is going to have stroke or not. Yeah. Uh, so that's what is uh, is what I hope for healthcare, and is what really excites me. Uh, but I think we are we are still uh, we have still a lot of work to do yeah. as far as that is concerned. But but it's possible. It's happened for weather. It's obviously extremely difficult to do something similar in health because mm. it's it's an extremely complicated space. Uh, but it would be interesting to see. And so going back to your question, I certainly think population health and individual level health are equally important to be able to um, get the right data and outcomes from these technologies yeah. that we wish to get. It's, it's fascinating that you brought up the analogy to weather because there's a, there's a term in weather prediction that I try to apply 
when I'm thinking about the future more generally, which is um, the cone of uncertainty. Um, it's a way of acknowledging that we we don't know too much. Uh, it describes the potential path of a hurricane or a storm. And the farther out you project, the more variability and margin of error goes up. Um, that's kind of what I am most excited, most optimistic about, and also a little bit most concerned about is um, the unintended consequences. I think there will be some uses for AI that we can't see coming, um, possibly because they're so mundane, like texting, um, but also others that, um, you know, it, how, do, how do we look around the corners or, or at least acknowledge that we don't know how something's going to play out? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the, the future is obviously very, very promising. However, I think it's the current where sometimes I, as an individual, get, get concerned because um, from through the meetup group that uh, I was part of last year, I think a lot, uh, a lot of my speakers alluded to the fact that, you know, running these algorithms is not the hard part. It's like getting the right data and the right mm. form, which is filtered and curated and, and accurate. I think that's the key. And sometimes I feel that as an industry, we are we are focused more on the algorithms and the compute uh -huh. and the, you know, faster is better. But sometimes we are, I feel we are neglecting the fact that we need to be able to collect more data from our patients, uh, maybe remote remote patient monitoring or uh, being able to identify new biomarkers, mm. uh, being able to identify new ways of uh, diagnosing certain uh, diseases. So a lot of uh, the work that needs to be done in data collection and, and data curation, I think it's as important, if not more important, than developing these algorithms and making them better and better because unless you feed them the right data, mm -hmm. they, they, are only, uh, they, they, only, they can only go so far. Yeah. Um, what are you most excited about talking about the future? I think I'm uh, most excited about the fact that with, uh, with technology, we would be able to identify uh, trends. We would be able to identify um, uh, aspects that we have not seen yet. I think, I think what excites me is are things that I probably don't know yet, mm. or we as, as, as humans don't know yet about, um, about just simple things about, like in terms of population health, like patterns, like have mapping out maybe disease progressions based on geographies. I think that kind of data analysis hasn't been done yet. I do like to, when I talk about the future, I do like to link it with, um, with the more grounded reality. So I grew up in India and I've been part of the developing world and then I've studied yeah. here in the US some part of an extremely cutting edge technology space. And so the future is, is almost, there are two futures. One that's the future for cutting edge technology and one the future for uh, all the other people in the world to get access to, uh, to basic care. Yeah. So the future, what's exciting to me is obviously helping in producing these cutting edge technologies, but also very, very importantly, making sure that uh, the 98% of the people in the world uh, get access to at least some technology and some care, so. Here, here, thank you for that. We can all get behind that. <laughs> Sunandini, thanks for coming in. This has been a great chat. The pleasure's all mine, thank you. 
The Resonance Test Podcast is where we seek out people who are consistently able to go from inspiration and cool ideas to fully implementing them. Innovation in this form can be found in all sorts of fields, from health and tech to food and music, and we love hearing how different people go about doing this repeatedly. EPOM Continuum is a global innovation design consultancy with studios in Boston, Milan, and Shanghai. At EPOM Continuum, we're very deliberate about the term innovation. For us, it means turning ideas into stuff that's real. From our perspective, it's not really innovative until it exists. If you want to learn more about EPUM Continuum and the work we do, go to continuuminnovation.com. Thanks to Sanandini Chopra and Toby Bator for their engaging conversation. Many thanks to Kit Palalis, our sound engineer extraordinaire, for getting this podcast recorded. Unending appreciation to Ken Gordon, our producer, for his masterminding behind the scenes. This has been The Resonance Test. I'm your host, Jen Ashman, and to our listeners, we thank you for your ears. Thank you.